0: Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 32 through 40. I read from the New Revised Standard Version. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven, Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into, You you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you, O Lord, because you allow us, O Lord, together, together to hear it, to learn from it, to receive it, Lord. We ask that you will use my voice and my thoughts to be your own as I proclaim it. Speak to us, Lord, what we need to hear this morning. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, as I mentioned earlier, we begin talking about stewardship. And in talking to people, it's become clear that everybody doesn't know what stewardship means. What what is stewardship? It's a big word. You know, it's a long word. Anything more than three syllables, sometimes we quibble over what, what, what it might mean. And stewardship is a long word. And so I decided that I would just start from the basics of stewardship to help you to define it and to understand it is in the simplest possible forms. Stewardship is defined in the dictionary as conducting, supervising, or managing something. Supervising, managing, or conducting something. In other words, leading something. The person that is doing that job was denominated a steward. All the way back in the Middle Ages, this came about as a profession. People who wanted somebody to handle their affairs, whether it was their business, or their household, or their farm, or their their family, whatever it was, found somebody who they could really trust, who they had full confidence in, and they would hire that person to take care of those those areas. So if it was a business, this person was entrusted with everything about the business. The dealings, the selling, the buying, the negotiating, all kinds of things came under the steward. The steward took care of these things on behalf of the owner. The steward was not the owner. The steward was always the entrusted person to handle the things or the owner. When we think of steward, it's kind of hard for us not to think of the stewardess in the airplane. Right? You think stewardess, you immediately get the picture of somebody on an airplane pushing a little cart down that narrow hallway with something for you when they get to your aisle. We've gotten accustomed to that. It used to be years ago that you actually got food. Now you're lucky if you get peanuts or pretzels and a drink. But we have learned to trust that as soon as the plane takes off, those stewards are going into the pantry on the airplane to find those things that are supposed to be delivered to us and that they will be responsible and punctual because you only have so long on a plane, to get those things to your seat, to where you're seated. You don't have to go up to them, right? They bring it to you. They serve it to you. They deliver it right to your aisle. You don't even have to get up from your seat. And they even ask you what you want before they give it to you. Now, the story is don't own any of the snacks they're giving you. They're not the owners of those snacks. They don't own the soda cans, not even the cups, not even the ice. They are responsible for these things, but the owner is the airline. And the airline has so much confidence in them that they give all of the stuff to them and trust that they're gonna give it to you. And somehow, someway, on every flight, going and coming, it takes place. The stewards come through and we trust that they will and we've learned to rely on them for this delivery. So when we talk about stewardship, we talk about somebody who is greatly trusted, somebody who can manage, somebody who can supervise, somebody who can direct resources, somebody who can deliver something from point A to point B. And when we apply that to our lives and to our faith in Jesus Christ, then that means that if we are stewards, then we have been trusted with everything that we have, everything that we are, and everything that we will ever have by God. Because in the end of the day, Everything belongs to God. Can we agree on that? Amen? Everything belongs to God. And everything we have in our lives has been entrusted to us, has been given to us by God who has said, I have faith in you to use these things for my glory. During this month, we're going to explore different aspects of stewardship because Oftentimes when you hear stewardship, you only think money. When you hear stewardship campaigns, what do you think? Oh, the church wants me to write them a check. But when we read the words of Jesus regarding giving, regarding stewardship, we find that he doesn't just limit himself to resources. He includes our time. He includes Our energy, he includes our our personhood, he includes our spirituality, he includes our relationships, he includes everything that makes us who we are. And he basically says, all of that, I want it. All of that, I want it. Today we begin in Luke chapter 12, after Jesus has been teaching his disciples about how precious they are before God. And I want you to understand this. Jesus had just finished telling them that if God can take care of the birds and the fields, He can certainly take care of them. That if He can take care of all of creation, that if He can supply the needs of the birds in the air that don't even work for a living, He certainly can take care of them. And then he says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Don't be afraid. For it is your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom. Not a little corner shack. Not a little bit of blessing. The kingdom is promised to you. So don't be afraid. Why would he begin trying to deal with our fear? Why would that be the starting point for Jesus when he's going to go into this section about stewardship? Because fear of not having enough is very real in our lives. Oftentimes, people don't give because they're afraid that if they give of themselves, whether it be money, whether it be time, whether it be effort, there won't be enough left over for the things that they want to do or the things they want to spend or invest on or the things that they want to be involved in, that somehow giving to God takes away from what they can do on their own and that therefore they have a limited supply to give out of. Well, it certainly makes sense in our human thinking, right? Anybody add 1 plus 1 and get 2 all the time? I mean, that that's common knowledge, right? You take your bills at the beginning of the month, you take your income, you compare them, and if your income is higher than your debts, you're good. And if your income is lower than your debts, You're in trouble, or as we call it, in the red or in the black. And we try to define our lives based on this this set point of knowledge, based on our human understanding, forgetting who is the supplier of our need. That it is God who makes it possible for us to have anything at all, And that it is God who makes miracles happen in our lives even when we don't know how they happen. Have you ever had a month where the numbers didn't add up? And yet you made it. Have you ever had a circumstance where you had a need that you did not expect to have and a blessing came out of left field and took care of it? Have you ever had a need and somebody out of the blue came and said, the Lord moved me. Here it is. it." Because what Jesus is talking about here is a way to live that is not based on fear of scarcity, fear of not having enough, but... Out of the abundance of knowing that we are kingdom dwellers, that we belong to the kingdom of God where there is plenty, where He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and there's nothing impossible for Him. It's a completely different way of living. How many times do we live out of fear, though? You know, if we're going to run a race, we got to make sure we got the physical stamina and the strength and the training, otherwise we know we'll fail. If we're going to take a job, we want to make sure we know all the responsibilities and we want to make sure that we prepare and that we have all the skills to do it. If we want to do something, basically, we want to go into it knowing that we're going to succeed. But we base that success not on God's presence with us but our own ability to provide or to supply for the need. Jesus was challenging his disciples to not live out of fear, but to live out of the abundance of being part of the kingdom of God. And then he does something radical. He encourages them to sell their possessions and give alms. Ooh, and this always hits hard. How many of us are willing to just sell our home, sell our possessions, and just give alms to everybody else. That's hard. That's hard to even imagine or conceive. When we think about giving alms, we think about going into our closet and finding the spare jacket and giving it away, and we feel like we have given alms. We feel accomplished because we gave something. But when Jesus thinks about giving alms, he thinks about totally putting ourselves on the line in a radical way where everybody in the body of Christ has no need because it is supplied by the body of Christ. Where we continue to give out of love of God to other people that might not even deserve it and might not even appreciate it. Not because of them, but because of God's love that has been given to us them. One of the biggest reasons people don't give is because of that fear. They're afraid that if they give to someone, they won't have enough and they'll lack. And they forget Psalm 23, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want There's promises in Scripture that say that when we give to others, when we give to those who are around us, when we give in the name of Jesus, we are blessed so that we can continue to give, that God continues to fill our storehouses so that we can continue to be a blessing. We know that giving doesn't earn us salvation. So why would Jesus ask us to give alms Jesus wasn't asking people to write a check, by the way. He was really asking them to commit, to take the money and go feed the hungry. He was asking them to sell stuff so that they could go and bring the clothes to the people that needed it. He was asking them to physically get involved because almsgiving required you to go and meet the person where they were. You know, almsgiving in biblical times was often done at the entrances of cities where people would beg on the side of the road. And you had to actually come up to them and recognize them as people who were worthy of receiving a blessing and giving them that. For Jesus, our giving becomes a part of our faithful living. And I've said this before at times that There's a lot of people that talk about discipleship and wanting to follow Jesus, want to be a student of Jesus. And if you want to be a student of Jesus, then you have to take stewardship seriously because stewardship is part of discipleship. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you remember that Jesus gave everything for us on the cross. He didn't hold anything back. He being God emptied himself fully for our sake and gave himself unto death, so that we could live. So if you want to claim that you're a follower of Jesus and you're not willing to put yourself at the full disposal of God, then you're not really following Jesus. You're giving conditions to God. See, how we use our money matters to God. How we use our things matters to God. How we use our time matters to God. How we spend our lives matters to God. Because God has entrusted us with so much. Jesus tells his disciples where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, what we spend our money on says a lot. You know, I looked at at my finances because I wanted to know what I love. Apparently, I love food, (laughs) I love church. And I love family. Those are my top three. Not in that order. Church, family, and food are the three things that I spend the bulk of my resources, time, and effort on in my life. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to analyze our spending of both time, money, effort, and service and quickly discover what are the things that we really love. What are the things that we really are invested in? You know, I gave the example of the superfans for the kids because it's something that we can relate to. Some of these superfans invest so much time, so much effort, so much energy on making sure that everybody around them knows who their team is, who they're for, and who they're against, what they believe about their team, and they always cheer no matter what their team is doing. Have you noticed that? Their team can look like they're losing or winning. It don't matter to them. They are still cheering because that's their team. And I think we can take a page out of their book. Because sometimes we're we're fair weather Christians, right? When things are good, oh yeah, I'm team Jesus. But when things are back, we, we forget whose team we're on, whose child we are, who is it that has our back. You see, stewardship is is a lot more than just our treasure, though. It's about our actions. Jesus didn't want people to get hung up on just stuff or just money or just resources. So he tells them, he invites them, be dressed and ready for action with lamps lit, like those who are expecting their master to return from a wedding banquet. Jesus wants us to be ready for his return. For when he comes back, he says, be ready to open the door as soon as I knock. Notice he doesn't say, when I knock, go pick up the house so that I can come in. He doesn't say, when I knock, you got about two hours to get ready and then I'll come in the house. He says, so that you are ready that when I knock, I can come in that moment. He's asking us to be good stewards of our time, our energy, our resources, and our lives. Be ready, be alert, be dressed for action. Of course, we like to be ready when people come by, right? If I tell you that I'm going to be at your house at 6 o'clock on Wednesday to come visit you, I have a feeling that you're going to get ready. You know, if you're coming over to my house at 6 o'clock, I'm going to go grocery shopping, make sure we have some snacks. My wife is going to make me clean up the whole house, even though you're only going to see about two rooms. (laughs) And I'm going to be dressed and prepared for your arrival. I'm not going to be in my pajamas, because I know that you're coming. And Jesus basically was telling his disciples, you know I'm coming, you just don't know when. So you have to prepare yourselves and you have to be ready because I am coming. And you might not know the day or the time, but you know what that means? That means you got to be ready all the time. So if I, instead of telling you that I was coming on Wednesday at 6 p.m., I told you, I'm going to drop into your house sometime this week. Could be Monday, could be Wednesday, could be Thursday, could be Saturday, Could be morning, could be evening. I'm coming. Guess what? You're not waiting till Friday to get ready. When are you getting ready? As soon as you get home, you're like, okay, we got to get ready. Preacher's coming. You go and prepare yourself because you don't know which day it is. You don't know which time it is. And you don't want to be caught off guard. You don't want everybody else talking about how dirty your house was, right? So you're going to clean up. You're going to tidy up. You're going to get it ready. Being in a state of readiness for us as Christians for the return of Jesus is a daily endeavor. It's not something that you do on Sundays and you let go the rest of the week. It's not something that you do Monday and and Tuesday and then don't worry about it for the rest of the week. It's something that daily has to be done in our lives. That means every single day we seek to be close to God, close to Jesus, hanging on his every word and building on our relationship with him so that if he returns and knocks on the door on that day, we're ready to go. We're ready to let him in. Jesus uses the illustration of an owner of a house. He says if the owner of the house had known at the hour the thief was coming, he would have never been broken into. You know, thieves don't make appointments. They're not going to tell you. I'm going to, I'll be there 11. Because if they told you, what would you do? You'd have the cops right there ready to arrest them the minute they walked in the door. You'd be prepared. You'd never be broken into if that was the way they worked. But the reality is that they show up when you least expect it. When I was growing up, we had a break-in in in a parsonage home across the street from the church in a house that always had people coming and going. And it was a time in which we were going to the airport to be, they were coming to the airport to pick me up. And they saw them going to the airport, apparently, and broke into the house. We would never expected it. It caught us completely off guard. We had never had a break-in before, and we would never had a break-in since when we lived there. It was completely unexpected. But living in a state of of readiness is not easy because it takes work and dedication. It takes commitment. It takes follow through. It takes determination and conviction to say, I am not going to let myself slip. Some time ago, we decided to hire somebody to help us clean the house because my wife got tired of trying to get the girls and Miguel to, to tidy up. And this person comes once a month. And since this person started coming, I've done more cleaning than I ever did before. Because apparently a week before she comes, I have to tidy up so she can clean. I never have understood this logic. I asked her, are not we paying her to clean? Yeah, but we've got to get it ready so she can clean it. And I'm like, what are we paying her for? We have to prep for the cleaning. And then after she comes, everything looks so beautiful that I have to maintain it. So I have to be extra careful for the next week. So like I said I've done more cleaning since she's been hired than ever before. And I have learned that if I don't maintain the house to at least to a certain level every week and she is invited to come back then my time of preparation extends to 2 weeks. So I've learned to be more careful about where I put my stuff. Because I don't want to spend 2 weeks cleaning before she comes. Jesus was saying, I'm coming again. Keep the place tidy. Keep your life in check. Make sure that you are following your faith and following me and not yourself. Make sure that you're invested in the kingdom that I have prepared for you. And do not be afraid because you serve a God who has promised you a kingdom. And you're an heir of the riches of glory. And you don't need to be afraid. I will take care of you. You will not be in want. You will not be in need. He says, continue to make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. You know, one thing that we have learned in recent times is that our investments can go poof very quickly. If you haven't seen the market and your 401k, don't look. It's not pretty. Right now it looks like you're broke. It looks like everything's going down because it is. Things of this life can be here one moment and taken away the next. And if you don't believe that, your life can be demanded of you in a heartbeat. You can die tomorrow, today, Even here in this service. Don't do that, by the way. (laughs) But you can be called home at any moment. Your health can fail. Your finances can fail. All kinds of things can fail you. And what Jesus was trying to explain to his disciples is that the only thing that does not fail you is me. I am the only thing that you can put your investment in that you know will never let you down. And I am the only one who has promised to be with you till the end. Through the ups and through the downs. Through your times of lean and through your times of plenty. I will be with you. And basically Jesus says, and by the way, put your money, put your resources, put your life where you say your faith is. Don't be a a fair weather Christian. Don't be one of those fans that cheers for the team only when they're going for the championship. Don't be one of those fans that switches teams depending on who's winning, quote unquote, and who's losing. Be one of those fans that is loyal and faithful as your heavenly father is faithful to you. And continue to support the kingdom of God. Because when people see you believing and trusting in Jesus with your life, they want to know how you do it. Because they want to do it too. They see how you're not afraid. They see how you persevere. They see how you go through illness and trials and temptations. And they say, what do you have that I don't have? Because I want that. And you need to be able to say, what I have is Jesus. What I have is not a bank account. What I have is not even a family. What I have is Jesus. Because when you have Jesus, you have everything. And when you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. I pray that God will continue to move us to just invest in his kingdom with our whole selves. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you because you challenge us with this word. You challenge us to really be alert, to really be prepared for your return by investing ourselves, our times, our resources, our service into your kingdom, in each other, O Lord, as we continue to give a witness for Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord, to demonstrate to the world that we trust you, that we believe in you, that we, O Lord, can be trusted and good stewards, O Lord, of your riches and glory. Help us, Lord, to always manage what you've given us with grace and for your glory, Lord, not for our own, so that your name will be lifted up high and so that others will want to do the same. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because you are the ruler of our lives. You are the master. You are the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The altar is going to be open. If there's anything in your life that you haven't surrendered, that you haven't given up to him, that you haven't said, it's yours, Lord, if you ever need it, just ask for it. It's yours. I want to invite you to just come to the altar and pray. And let God give you the peace of knowing that you can give it if he asks for it. Because he is your supply.